Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you to follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Good. Well, tomorrow is going to be a good day. Uh, tomorrow I'm going on a road trip uh, with Josiah, our intern, and we are he needs to get his hours up for his learners, and I need to visit someone from a church in Druin, and so we're going to jump into the car, and it'll be a great chance to catch up as we head down to Druin. And recently, Josiah got his first car, which is really, really exciting, and he was, so yeah, you can give him a round of applause, that's great, first car is a really exciting milestone in life, and he was telling us just the other week that he finds washing and he's vacuuming his car therapeutic. Isn't that cute? Do you remember when we used to be like that? He used to find it therapeutic. Uh, I, being a, you know, a good, good friend and all of that, I, I offered to give him more opportunity to have therapy by washing and vacuuming my car, but it seemed like the therapeutic nature of the activity itself seemed to instantly wear off at that particular point, because the truth is, Josiah loves his first car, and for many of us that have had, uh, been driving for a long time, you can probably remember when you got your first car, and that first day you had your license, it's kind of like you're unshackled. It's like when a bird flies for the first time and you are free and you can now drive wherever you want, whenever you want, as long as you can afford the petrol. So it usually gets you to the end of the street and you realize you've got no money. But it's a great milestone in life when you get your license. And I remember when I first got my car, I just couldn't wait to drive and, and tell everyone and show everyone my car. And just like Josiah, I was almost religious when it came to cleaning my car. I would wash it every week and I would uh, you know, dry it off and then I'd polish it and then I'd get inside and I'd vacuum and I'd armor all the dashboard. And, and my car, my first car, was 100% bug-free. You know when you're driving and those, those bugs that often, you know, they must eat rubber or something and they splat on the front of your car and you just can't get them off, right? And, and even with a sponge, you know, I'd be rubbing it with a sponge and they, they just wouldn't uh, come off. And so I would move to the next tool, that I had in my toolbox, and that was my fingernails, or at least what's left of them, and I would get those bugs, and I would scratch them off, and so there was no bugs at all on my car, and so there may, uh, I don't know if I've told you, I've got a bad habit of biting my nails, so I think a lot of those bugs ended up in my mouth, (laughs) or in my stomach, but as long as they weren't on the car, that was the main thing, and it's a good source of protein anyway, so highly recommend it. But for the first 12 months or so, my car was always spick and span. It always looked really, really clean. But over time, something happened with my car. The passion for my car started to wane. The time between washes started to increase. And the desire to tell everyone and show everyone my car died off. And with everything else going on in life, washing my car didn't just slip down the priority list. It completely disappeared from the priority list altogether. And so now I'm 24 years after getting my first car and having several several different cars along the way. I've reached the magnificent pinnacle of a Holden Cruise, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, But my regular car wash is now saved, like the alarm bell goes off, when it's so dirty that I'm literally now embarrassed to drive it. And so that is the sign that I need to wash my car. And so I will go and wash my car. I don't care about the bugs anymore. As long as people can tell that my car is white, that's literally near enough. And I'm sure for many of you, you can relate to that. If you think to your first car and you think about your car now, you're probably not quite as, uh, you know, fussy about how clean your car is. Well, this weekend is the last weekend of our New Thing series. 
And today we're talking about mission. And as I thought about Josiah's car this week, it got me thinking about our faith and our sense of personal mission. Uh, Last week, if you were here, we had four baptisms, including Josiah, coincidentally. But we had four baptisms here uh, at Follow, and it was an extraordinary service as we saw and heard testimonies of faith from four people who've recently committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I couldn't help but leave here encouraged and inspired and uplifted. When you plan a church, this is what you plan a church for, to see people come to know Jesus. And so it was so exciting. And you couldn't help but feel inspired because there was this raw passion from each of the four people that comes when we first realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see that that Savior is Jesus Christ. There's an energy, there's an enthusiasm, there's an excitement uh, in that season of our life. The Bible calls it our first love. And just like when we get our first car, in that season of life, we can't wait to tell everyone about Jesus. We want to share with our friends and our family what he's done. And we see every moment as an opportunity to tell people about his love and to represent his love through our lives because we want everyone to experience what we are experiencing. But over time, I often hear, and I certainly experience this myself as a young Christian, that the passion kind of wears off. And a bit like our first car, we start to lose the desire to tell everyone about Jesus And we forget that we're his ambassadors in this world. And if we're not careful, uh, a bit like watching the cars falling off the priority list, sharing about Jesus kind of just falls off the priority list. And we can sometimes settle into a kind of faith where we kind of just go through the motions. For many Christians, if you ask them how many conversations they had had about faith in the last 12 months with people who haven't accepted Christ, the answer is likely to be zero. Zero conversations about faith in the last 12 months. Why is that? When we have the best news the world could ever hear, when we have the answer to sin and the key to eternal life, why do we fail to tell people about it? Why do we lose a sense of mission in our daily lives? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons that that happens. I jotted them all down this week, but this morning I want to focus on two. And the first one is this. I want to call it the compartmentalization lifestyle. In other words, we often live our lives with a a range of different compartments in our life. And so we have all these different compartments, and mission becomes one of those compartments in our lives. It's one thing that we kind of tack on to the rest of activities we do. And so mission becomes a place where I serve or get involved in a ministry, but it's only one compartment. So it looks a little bit like this. I have my family, and I have my friends, and I have my work, and they're all in their own little compartment of life. And then I have church It's another compartment. Then I have my hobbies. And then mission is kind of a compartment that's tacked on the end as one part of my life. And so I think the first reason that we lose this everyday mission in our lives is because we compartmentalize our lives. The second reason I think we don't share about the gospel is what I want to call this morning, don't know enough syndrome. Don't know enough syndrome. This clicker is playing tricks on me. Don't know enough syndrome. In other words, I don't know the Bible well enough. I'm not confident enough. I'm not articulate enough. I don't even know where to start. I'm certainly not an intellectual. And if someone asked me about where the dinosaurs went, I just don't know what to say. And so I just zip my lip and I kind of go quiet about faith because at least I'm safe and comfortable 
in that place. And so we're kind of crippled by this I don't know enough syndrome. And so today I want to address these two particular things. And I'm going to start by addressing the first one. And the key, I think, to overcoming the compartmentalization lifestyle is found in one word, and it's the word temple. It's a weird word, isn't it? The word temple. And so when you think mission, I want you to think temple. Now, temple is a foreign word for us because we no longer worship in a temple. We're here in a rented school facility, a basketball court or something or other, and we meet here. And so when we hear the word temple, it conjures up images of other faiths that still build elaborate temples where they come to worship. But we don't do that anymore, so we don't kind of connect with the word. And it's certainly a weird word when it comes to mission. But the word temple is a biblical concept, and I believe it's one of the keys to effective mission. And so think mission, think temple. And so to understand why, we need to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the people of God, they worshipped in a temple. And so they would come to that temple, and in a dark and broken world, the temple was the place where heaven and earth, in their mindset, intersected, and it created a clean and safe place of worship, because that's where God's presence was on earth. And so to experience God's presence, people would come to worship Him at the temple. Now, the temple had a whole bunch of rooms and courts, but the focal point of the temple was, was known as the Holy of Holies. And it was a tiny little room that was separated from the holy place by this really big, thick temple. And within the Holy of Holies was this tiny little thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It had a bunch of items in it. It's not just something out of Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. Uh, it's actually a biblical thing. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And so where the Ark of the Covenant went, God's presence went. And there it was found in the center of the temple. And so only one person was able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. That was the high priest. And he stepped beyond this really thick curtain into the Holy of Holies. And he would go there for one purpose. And the purpose was to take a spotless lamb and to sacrifice it. And the reason he did that was on behalf of the people. Because in this act... The sin of the people was symbolically transferred to the lamb. The lamb paid the penalty for the sins of the people, and the people were atoned for because their price had been paid. Now, in the temple, they had the Holy of Holies, but they had a whole bunch of other areas. And so they moved their way out around the Holy of Holies. So you had the Holy of Holies, and then outside of that, you had the Holy Place. And in the Holy Place, close to the presence of God, only the priests could go. So you've got the high priest in the Holy of Holies, then you've got the priests that went to the holy place. Then outside of that, they had all these other courts moving outwards. So they had the, the court for the men, and then further out, they had the court for the women. And then right on the outer edge, they had the court for the Gentiles, because in their perception, the Gentiles were the furthest away from God. Now, this was all set up by God. It sounds a little confusing, but it was set up by God, but it was only ever a temporary measure that would point them to a future fulfillment and answer to the problem of sin that would be found in Christ. He would tear down the walls and the dividing separation so all of us could freely access the presence of God. And so when Jesus came to earth, everything changed. He came to fulfill the law that was lived out in the temple, and he came to abolish the sacrificial system. And so what do we know about Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus was the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he was literally the sacrifice for all humanity. He died not because he had sinned, he was perfect in every way, but he died in our place and he took on the sin of us. He paid our price and when he stretched out his hands and said, it's finished, he paid the price for sin. 
And so this is the good news of the gospel. When we accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and receive him as our Lord and Savior, we no longer have to pay the death penalty for sin because Jesus paid it for us. And so he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world for every person who puts their faith in him. But at the same time as being the sacrifice, we know from Hebrews that he's also our great high priest. And so all the things that are happening in the temple, Jesus came to fulfill these things. So he's the sacrifice and he's the great high priest. Bible tells us there's only one mediator between us and God, and it's not some high priest somewhere with a funny hat. It's Jesus. So we don't have to find a high priest anymore. And so because of Jesus, we don't have to bring sacrifices to church every week. I mean, it's hard enough finding people for the set-up and pack-up team, let alone cleaning up after all the sacrifices. That would make it very, very tough to get volunteers. A bit of a mess, right? (laughs) Who's volunteering for that job? Grant, is that your hand? I see that hand, Grant. Grant is the first one signed up. We don't have to do that anymore. Because Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. We don't need to find a high priest anymore because Jesus is our great high priest. But what we sometimes miss is that we also no longer need a temple. There's no longer anything sacred about our buildings except for the fact that we're here and we're the people of God, worshipping God. Because Jesus came to replace the temple. He came to replace the temple. In his earthly body, he made the temple obsolete. So you might remember him saying in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, he was a carpenter, but he wasn't that fast, right? So that took years to build the temple. He's not talking about a physical structure. What's he talking about? He's talking about his body. You put me in a tomb, but on the third day, I will be resurrected. And so destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And so Jesus... God in human form was the place now where heaven and earth intersected. It wasn't in the temple. It was found in Jesus. Heaven literally came down in the person of Jesus. And when the eternal word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood, it's no surprise that everywhere he went, he healed people. Everywhere he went, he forgave people. He showed divine love. His teaching transformed the world and still does today. And his wisdom baffled people. They would come and they would challenge him and he would, his opponents would come and then he'd just say some line of wisdom and it just completely baffled them because Jesus in his earthly body was carrying the wisdom of heaven. He became the temple, the place where heaven and earth intersected. John Dixon in his book, A Doubter's Guide to Jesus, says, From the time of Christ's death and resurrection, said the early Christians, a new temple was established. For all nations. All who want to locate the Creator's presence, learn His teaching, and enjoy His forgiveness can do so simply by embracing the Messiah Jesus, the new temple. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, what's this got to do with mission? I said before, think mission, think. Three people got it. That's great. Think mission. Four people got it. Think mission. Most people got it. Okay. Think mission, think temple. Now, what does it mean? What has this got to do with mission? Well, I want you to realize that Jesus no longer is here physically with us on earth. He has ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And so we've got to ask the question, where is the temple? Where is that place now where heaven and earth meet? Well, I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul describes us, like you and me. This is what he says. He says, do you not know that your bodies are what? Temples of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you, whom you have received from God. Now, this is phenomenal. Take a moment for a second to look at your body, right? In this room, there's different shapes, there's different sizes, there's different ages, there's different genders. Some of us may be happy with our bodies. Some of us post-COVID are not so happy with our bodies. But what I want you to know today is this, that your body, no matter what you think about it, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within you. If you have accepted Christ, He dwells within you through His Holy Spirit. And so where is the place where heaven and earth intersect? It's not in a temple somewhere in the Middle East or anywhere else. I tell you where heaven and earth intersect, in and through our lives as we represent Christ. That's incredibly powerful. And this is what I want us to get when it comes to mission. The mission Jesus had here on earth has now been passed on to us, his people. We're co-workers with God. Now, what is this mission? I want you to remember when God finished creating in Genesis. He created all the heavens and the earth, and he created everything, and then he created humanity, and then he looked at it all, and what did he say? It's very good, right? It's not just good, it's very good. Now, I want you to watch the news tonight or any night, and tell me whether you think this world is very good. Spoiler alert, get an hour of your life back. It's not. It's a mess. It's broken. And sin has entered this world and it's reaped destruction. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to conquer the power of sin and death. He came to reverse the curse of the fall and bring us back to the place where one day this this whole creation will not just be very good, it will in fact be perfected. This is the hope we have, isn't it? When Jesus returns... He says he's coming back to bring a new heavens and a new earth where everything is redeemed. He says there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more death. A place of love and joy and peace and unity in the presence of God. This is what we were created for in the first place. And so as Christians, no matter how difficult life gets, and let's be honest, life gets tough at times. But we have a hope that we can lift our eyes and say, our future is guaranteed because we've been given the Holy Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance we have when Christ returns. That's good news, right? Well, in between then and now, Jesus invites us to join him in his redemptive mission. He wants us to be people who carry his presence everywhere we go, and join him in this redemptive mission by representing light in the midst of darkness. This is what makes Christianity so compelling. This is why we can never say we've got no purpose in life. This is what should bring us so so much joy that we are joining Jesus in his mission to be the light of this world. And so every time we're generous, what are we doing? We're pushing back the darkness. Every time we welcome people and embrace people, we push back the darkness. Every time we serve and sacrifice for God and for one another, we push back the darkness. Every time we love and forgive, we push back the darkness. Every time we share the good news of Jesus, we push back the darkness. Every time we pray and stand for justice, we push back the darkness. Every time we live joyfully with hearts full of gratitude, we push back the darkness. And every time we represent Jesus in his redemptive mission, we give our world a glimpse of that future reality in the present. Heaven and earth intersect as his kingdom is revealed in tangible ways. This is mission. It's what we're called to. We are his people. 
filled with the Holy Spirit to be his ambassadors, to be his co-workers, to be his mouthpiece and to be his hands and his feet. We can't do this on our own. So to help us live out this mission, he has chosen to make our bodies temples of the Holy Spirit where he dwells. Let me tell you, this changes the way that we see mission. Because mission is not a compartment within our lives. Our whole life is mission. And so it looks a bit more like this. It actually affects every single part of our life. It's the overarching purpose that we have been given. And as we start to see every moment, every interaction, every conversation as mission, then there are opportunities all around us every day to represent Jesus and to share the story of who he is and all he's done in our lives. And as we do that, what do we do? We overcome the compartmentalization lifestyle that we so often live because every moment is mission. If we want to see Jesus lifted high over this region, we want to see people coming to know Jesus in their droves. We want to see this community transformed. It's only going to happen when each of us realize we are temples of the Holy Spirit and there's not a single circumstance, a single problem, a single environment, a single workplace, a single family that we don't carry the presence of God into. We never go alone. We have God living in us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And I think understanding that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit makes the devil nervous. But I think if you understand you're a temple and you also have the tools to live out on mission, I think he runs for the hills. And so this morning, I want you to leave this place, not just knowing that you're a temple, I want you to leave this place knowing that you are a temple with a toolbox. A temple with a toolbox. And so I brought a toolbox with me this morning. I want to share a very simple tool that will encourage you, and you might hear it and go, it sounds too simple, but it's taken straight from Jesus' playbook. These are the things Jesus used when he was here on earth on mission. Now, I've got this toolbox here, which I bought brand new yesterday from Bunnings. Just couldn't find a toolbox the right size. And this is my blessed toolbox. And I've got a bunch of stuff in here today I want to introduce to you. And some of you have heard about BLESS. It's an acronym. And the acronym is begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, share your story. This is rhythms of life, not just tools or strategy, but a rhythm of life that as we live, we will actually live out mission every day and grab hold of the opportunities that God puts in front of us. And so you might have heard this before and you go, yeah, yeah, I've heard all this before. We'll use it as an evaluation tool and say, okay, I've heard it before, but which ones of these am I doing well? Am I praying? Am I listening to people? Am I eating with people? Am I serving people? Am I sharing my story? And there might be an area that you can grow in this year, this week. If you've never heard of it before and you think, I don't know how to start mission. Yeah, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, but, but how do I actually reach out to my next door neighbor or my friends or that family member that seems so far from God? Well, this is a great tool or a toolbox that you can take and start to live out. And it starts very simply with beginning with prayer. I don't know how to reach my next door neighbor. We'll begin with prayer. And in my toolbox, I have something very powerful to demonstrate what prayer is. And it's going to be life-changing, I'm sure, it's a prayer emoji. Uh, we know that this is actually two people giving each other a high five, right? This is what they design it to be. But as Christians and as a preacher, you do not let the truth get in, in the way of a good illustration. So we have redeemed this emoji, and we all know this is the prayer emoji, right? We use it all the time. <laughs> Praying for you, prayer emoji. 
Thinking of you this week, prayer emoji. The sad thing is this, that the prayer emoji is the sum total of some people's prayer lives. It's easy to say praying for your prayer emoji, isn't it? But are we actually praying? I made a decision a few years ago that I will never, ever post anything on social media with a prayer emoji unless I've first prayed. So I can guarantee if I ever post on anything you put on there praying for you, I've prayed for you already and I'll continue to. And it might not be a 20-minute prayer. It might be 20 seconds before I post. Hey, Lord, give them wisdom today in that situation. Lord, bring healing into their life. Praying for you, prayer emoji. Don't let this be a poor substitute for prayer. There's no power in a prayer emoji. But prayer is powerful, life-changing when we pray regularly, right? And so let's begin with prayer. If we're going to be effective in mission, we need to be people who begin with prayer. It's one of the reasons we meet every week in the upper room before the service. Everyone's welcome, only a handful of people come. 9.30, every week we're there. And we pray, not because we feel like we have to because we're a Christian church. We pray because we know prayer changes things. And we believe what we pray up there, we actually carry into the service. We've already prayed and set a foundation and expectation that God's going to do something. We're going to encounter Him today. And so prayer, we need to be people who begin with prayer. And if we're honest, I think many of us struggle with it. We just call it as it is. Many of us struggle with prayer. We get easily distracted. But as I've studied church history and marveled at the many times of revival and great awakening on the earth, I've never come across one single time that's happened that didn't start even with a small handful of people who were faithful in prayer. If we're serious about being people on mission, our days should commence with prayer. And I love King David's prayer in Psalm 5.3. He says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. There's two things I love about that prayer. In the morning, right? After I've checked Facebook and answered my emails and had a coffee and woken up. No, no, no. In the morning, first thing, King David gets up and he prays. And he lays his request before God. The second bit I love about it and the key to it is that he waits expectantly. When we begin our days with prayer, if we don't know how to start with mission, just pray, Lord, here I am. Send me today. I'm ready and available to live out your mission. And then you're expectant. When you walk into your workplace, when you go into the lounge room to make the coffee, when you're with your friendship circle, you've got your Holy Spirit radar on because you've prayed expectantly that today you're not only going to have an encounter with God, but God's going to have encounters with you, for you, with other people. And so we're going to live out this mission every day. We need to begin with prayer. We know that prayer was a regular rhythm of Jesus' life. In Luke 5, 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And my question for us is if Jesus needed to pray in order to live out his mission, then how much more do we need to cultivate and prioritize prayer in our lives? Because if we don't cultivate a life of regular prayer, we will never live out a successful life of mission. Because no lasting fruit ever comes without faithful prayer. And so start your day with expectant prayer. The second thing we need to do is we need to be people who are brilliant at listening. And so I bought out of my toolbox these little suckers that I put on when I want to, I can't even hear you now, I don't know if you're answering or laughing or whatever, but you wouldn't be laughing, but when I put these things on, I put them on because I want to tune into what I'm listening to. I want to free myself from the other distractions around, and I think as Christians, we should be the greatest listeners on the planet. This is what it should be like when we're talking to someone else, tuned into what they're saying, listening to what's going on 
in their lives. And to be honest, I don't think Christians have a reputation for being great listeners. I think we have people who are seen on a soapbox, who are ready to tell you what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, what you should believe, what you shouldn't believe, kind of like the moral police. And we actually at times fail to listen. In confession time, I'm not a great listener, naturally. I've had to work on it. I read a quote a number of years ago by Stephen Covey, and he says this, that most people do not listen with the intent to understand, they listen with the intent to reply. Now, we know that's true, don't we? Because I come and meet you for the first time, and I ask you your name, and while you're responding, I'm thinking of what question to ask you next, and we will have a brilliant conversation for 20 minutes, and by the end of it, I don't have a clue what you're called. Because I didn't listen. I was too busy, ready to answer, to, to give a reply, to ask a question. We need to be people who are brilliant at listening. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Two ears, one mouth. To be effective in mission, we need to use them in that ratio when it comes to the people we're trying to reach. You know, I think that Jesus was a great listener. He listened to the religious leaders of the day, and he also listened to the average person on the street. He listened to those who didn't have a voice, the woman with the issue of blood or the woman at the well, the, the leper or the tax collector. Jesus listened to those who nobody else even noticed or acknowledged. And I just wonder how many people in our lives are just waiting for someone to listen. And when I think, oh, I'm not connecting with people around mission, I don't really make it. Maybe it's because we haven't stopped talking long enough to listen to what's really going on in their lives. You know, it's really amazing what you learn about people when you take the time to listen. You hear their dreams and desires for the future. You get to know their interests. You start to understand their struggles and their pain. You learn about their family life and their relationships. And you start to discover what questions they're asking about life. And let me tell you how much you learn of that when you're speaking. Zero percent of that is learnt when we're speaking. It's learnt when we learn to listen. And so if we learn to listen twice as much as we speak, God will open up opportunities we never thought imaginable to share the love of Jesus in people's lives. And so begin with prayer. Listen to people. Thirdly, probably my favorite one, eat. We can have a great conversation, but you know what makes it better? Packet of chips. Always makes it better. Or if you're a coffee drinker, a coffee. Or if you like having people in your home, a roast dinner, that is a hint. If you want me over for roast dinner this week, we're available most nights, just let me know. But it's an amazing tool, isn't it? Food. You know, my, my family are embarrassed by the way I eat in public. They tell me all the time. Say, Dad, you eat too fast and you get food on your face. And I tell them the same thing every time. I don't care. Because <laughs> I love food. And when I get spiritual, I'm following the footsteps of my Savior. Because he loved food as well. I reckon he was the original foodie. You know, there's three times in Scripture that Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. Let me read you the first two. I'm sure you'll recognize them. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Who's heard that? Second one. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Who's heard that one? Let me read you the third one. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Who knew that one? <laughs> Raided. Good on you, right? You know, Jesus did so much of his ministry around food. His first ever miracle, he turned water to wine. His most famous miracle, he fed the 5,000. The last significant evening with his disciples before the death on the cross was the Last Supper. 
He tells a parable of a great banquet. He says we can look forward to being part of the wedding feast when he returns. And he was accused in his earthly life of what? Being a drunkard and a glutton. Not because he was, but because he was always around food. Are you seeing a pattern here? Jesus ministered around food. Have you ever noticed that there seems to be this invisible wall between us and non-believers? You ever notice that? I think many Christians just build the wall higher, don't they? They just act like jerks. And the wall just gets higher and we just, our behavior and our words just build these massive walls between us and Christians. But I read this quote years ago that I've never forgotten and I love it. It says this, when you have all you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. What a wonderful quote that is. Because food is the great connector. It's a universal language. It breaks down barriers. It opens up relationships and it provides an opportunity for extended conversation. You can have a conversation with someone, but it's much better when you do it around food. And I think Jesus knew this and used it as one of his rhythms of mission. You have three meals a day on average. That's 1,095 meals a year. It's 1,095 opportunities to connect with others around food. So if you don't know where to start mission, start around the dinner table with friends who don't know Jesus. The the fourth one is to serve. Serving is a a really powerful tool that we have. I've told the story before, but in COVID, we've got to know our next door neighbors a lot better. We're learning about their lives and just getting to know about their dreams and passions and we know their names and we know where they live and and it's really wonderful to see these relationships starting to, to commence and to flourish. But I'll tell you how it all started. It all started with a toilet roll. You know, when we had the toilet paper crisis, no one could square a spare. Sorry, spare a square. Yeah, spare a square. Uh, well, we had a whole bunch of extra ones at the food van, and Leanne said, why don't you take them and give them to your neighbors? And so I took them home, and Kim and I decided we'd go and get a chocolate bar, and we just popped it in the hole, wrapped it in cellophane, put an invite to a Facebook group for our street, and we just went and put it on every single doorstep. You couldn't see anyone because it was too contagious. So we just put it on the doorstep, and we just waited to see what God would do. A couple of weeks later, uh, a girl over the road, uh, after a whole bunch of people had signed up for our Facebook group, a girl walked over from across the road, and she said, are you Luke and Kim? Well, we're gardening in the front yard. And we said, yeah. And she said, I just want to say thank you so much for the toilet roll. She said, when I opened the door and I picked it up and I realized what it was, she said, I burst into tears. We had no money in the bank. There was no toilet paper on the shelves anyway. And you know what? Who knows? You can't really go a week without toilet paper. It starts to get a bit uncomfortable. And so it just opened up through serving in, in, a, in a real need for our neighborhood. It's just opened up conversations that are well beyond anything we've ever experienced before. You see, serving gives you access into people's lives in a way that they're happy to receive. And a simple act of service could be the first seed sown in someone's salvation story. Imagine one day we're having a baptism service and and someone gets up here and they tell their story about how they've come to know Jesus. and, And someone says, how did it start? And they say, with a toilet roll. Imagine how powerful that would be. These are the opportunities that are around us all the time to to meet needs in our community and to serve people. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life. And he says, come and follow in my footsteps. And so as we serve, we create opportunities to minister to people. And the last one is to share your story. Um, Sorry, the serving tool was tongs. The last tool I have in the toolbox of sharing your story is a book. 
one of our favorite books we read to Lenny regularly. It's called The Very Brave Bear. Isn't that what we need to be when we come to sharing our story? People who are brave, full of courage, ready to share the good news, not worrying about what other people will think and say. He wants us to be very brave bears as we go and share the good news of the gospel. Now, I have a next-door neighbor. She's in her 60s. She has a husband who is non-communicative. She had a heart, a heart attack and a stroke, and he can no longer speak at all. And so he can sort of acknowledge her there, but he can't actually communicate. And so she works full-time, and she cares for her husband, and she's a lovely person. And we've got to know her over the years. And for the first five years of living there, I mowed her nature strip. I mow our nature strip, and I just mow hers for her as well, and still do. And for the first five years, I mowed her nature strip. She never mentioned it once. Never once mentioned that her, her grass was cut. So she must have come out and thought, wow, I don't know what's happened to my grass. It just mows itself, and ooh, it smells like fresh grass. And now what's going on here? But after five years, one day, I was mowing out there, and she eventually came out, and you certainly don't do it to be thanked, but she came out, and she said, she got my attention, I stopped the mower, and she said, I just want to thank you so much for mowing my nature strip. It means a, a heap, I don't have a mower, I have to pay someone to do it, I just really appreciate you mowing the lawn, and I said, that's fine, and then she just hovered around like she wanted to chat, and so just stood there for a while, this was just before lockdown last year, and she started to chat at the front for about 40 minutes, she just shared her story of how her husband got sick and how her son was diagnosed with leukemia on the same day. And she knows our story, that my wife Kim had open heart surgery and our son Lenny was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes on the same day. And so there was some commonality there. And so we started to chat. And then eventually she asked me how the family are and how we cope with it all. And I got to share with her about how God gives us strength and the faith we have in Jesus. And he's the one that helps us get through. And it was one of those moments where, where heaven met earth as we were able to share our story. And it was an awesome moment that was five years of lawns in the making. Five years of mowing lawns finally led to an opportunity to share our story. This is where the blessed rhythm is so incredibly powerful. If you do the first four well, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve. Opportunities to share your story will come, maybe in a matter of hours. Maybe in days, weeks, months, or maybe even years. But if we continue to be a faithful presence, it will come. Church, we have a compelling mission to be co-workers with God. And this simple rhythm could change your life, but it could also change our community if every Christian realized that they are a temple with a toolbox. A toolbox to bless our world, to share the good news of Jesus the hope of salvation. So it's time for us to reimagine mission. Think mission, think temple. You're a temple with a toolbox, not compartmentalized, not worrying about whether you know enough or not. Just get busy doing the mission and God will give you the words to say. As you put the word of God in, he'll bring it out at the right time. We are blessed to be a blessing. So begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share your story. I'm going to invite Noah and Michelle and Vijay to come now. And they're going to close in prayer. And I want to see this as kind of like a commissioning prayer because we can hear a message about mission and go, yep, that sounds good. But the trick is that we actually go and live it this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year. So I'm going to invite these guys and they're going to pray. And as they pray, I want to invite you to stand because I want you to see this as a commissioning. We are commissioning you as temples with toolboxes to go into the week this week and to live for Jesus. And so... Um, let's pray expectantly. We've talked about that today. And as these guys pray, let's have an expectation this week God's going to use us. And so I'm going to hand over to them to pray.
Let's close our eyes this morning. Father, indeed, Lord, you have placed us, uh, you've given us life and you've placed us in this place at this time for a purpose. Lord, I pray that we as a church will be people of purpose. Lord, even as you placed us in this community, Lord, I reflect on the word in uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says that you want us to be witnesses first in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world, Lord. Lord, our Jerusalem is this place where you've called us to be. The place where we live, the place where we work, and the place where we can be of some influence, O oh Lord. And Father, I pray that even as you placed us in this community, O oh Lord, I pray each one of us here will understand your purpose, O oh Lord, for the people that you bring us into our lives, O oh Lord. Father, I pray that our lives will reflect your glory. We'll be the carriers of your presence, O oh Lord, and that we will truly represent you, Jesus, in our community. Lord, we also remember our, our families, our friends, and our neighbors, Lord, this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, when you save one person in the family, you set apart the entire family, O oh Lord. That's your promise, O oh Lord. You sanctify them, Lord. You set them apart, O oh Lord. And Lord, today, Lord, we just cry out to you, O oh Lord, for our friends, our families, O oh Lord. For that son, that daughter, that brother, that sister that has not yet come to repentance and to know you as a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, O oh Lord. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, let this be a day where there'll be a renewed purpose for that particular person in our family, O oh Lord. That we will truly intercede and stand the gap for that person, O oh Lord. And Lord, that you will draw them with your everlasting love through us, O oh Lord. Lord, that we will be able to, be, we'll be prepared, Lord, in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that we have. Lord, let them be, see a people who have tasted and seen, let that we be the people who have tasted you, Lord, and seen that you're good, O oh Lord. And Lord, that we'll be bearers of your fruit, O oh Lord, the fruit of your spirit, O oh Lord. Lord, we pray for our friends, our neighbors, O oh Lord. Lord, there is no accident, no coincidences in our lives, O oh Lord. We acknowledge that this morning, O oh Lord, you placed us in the homes that we live in for a purpose so that we could be a sphere of influence to our neighbors, O oh Lord, and our friends, O oh Lord. Lord, let our words be seasoned with your love. Let our, our actions, what we do, Lord, represent your kingdom, O oh Lord. Let this church be a beacon of light, a truly an ambassador of you, Jesus Christ. Let everyone in this church truly be a representative of your glory in our community our friends, our family, and our neighbors. In Jesus' name. Amen to that. Lord, I just want to thank you um, for you are good, you are holy, and you are worthy, God. Lord, I just want to thank you for everything you have done and everything you will do. In Psalm 22, you know, David laments on the distance he feels from God. And halfway through the chapter, he breaks out in praise, you know, Lord. And I pray that we can be like David, that, you know, no matter how distant we may feel from you, Lord, that, um, that we may still praise you, that we may still worship you. Um, and God, I just pray that you'll fill us with your spirit um, and that the, will, the spirit will transform us um, to be more like you 
and, you know, go through that bliss. Um, start with, begin with prayer, Lord, um, which is what we're doing today. Um, I pray that we'll have the courage to share the gospel um, wherever we are in life, um, just to glorify your name, Lord God. I pray that Jesus um, will reign over our region, Lord. I pray, I thank you for the new covenant, covenant um, that the veil was torn into, Lord. Um, I thank you that, you know, now we may have your presence, Lord, and I pray that the Spirit will work and transform us um, and give us the words to say and put us in the right situations to, um, yeah, to really reach people, Lord. Um, so I pray that Jesus be lifted high, you know, over Officer, over Pakenham, over our workplaces and our homes. Um, I pray that your kingdom will come um, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, I thank you that we live in a kingdom that is now and not yet. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we can proclaim the good news and further this kingdom wherever we're planted. So Lord Jesus, as we leave today, Lord, I just pray that each and every single person in this room, no matter how far they feel from God, Lord, I pray that you will pull them closer and pull them deeper into your love, Lord. And I pray that um, you'll really just give them the power and the authority to trample over serpents, Lord. I just pray that... um, And it will all be to your glory, Lord, that it will all be to your glory, to the glory of God the Father, Lord. I just pray that, yeah, you really just um, fill us with your spirit, Lord. Flood this place as we go into a time of worship and let people know who they need to reach and um, the people that you have placed in their lives, Lord. Lord, just come, Lord Jesus. Come and have your will on heaven as it is on earth. Lord, your word says in Ephesians 2 that by the grace your grace we are your masterpiece created renewed restored in christ jesus for good works works which you have prepared for us beforehand ready to step into lord by faith yet still lord some of us feel inadequate and we believe that there is no way that you can use us effectively for your kingdom because of our difficult circumstances lord But Lord, we thank you that you are bigger, bigger than our difficulties. And we thank you that you work in spite of and through those difficulties, Lord. On the other hand, some of us feel, Lord, that we need to get so busy doing and doing and we get ahead of you and just go and do our own thing. But your word says that apart from you, we work in vain. Remind us, Lord, to slow down and seek you. Thank you for reminding us today that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit and we cannot do anything apart from your empowerment of your spirit. Help us to stand in that truth and help us walk by the Spirit as we used to bless lives out church by Luke this morning. And so, Lord, I pray Ephesians 1, 16 to 18 over our fellow family. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places thank you Lord Jesus in your name we pray all these things Amen
Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you live in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service. All the information can be found on our website, follow.church. You can also follow us on social media at Follow Baptist Church.